undoubtedly the busiest pedestrian square in Vienna. Stephansplatz, or St. Stephen's Square, lies at the heart of the Austrian capital's first district. In fact, this was the dead center of the old medieval city of Vienna, which was once encircled by a defensive wall dating to the early 13th century. That wall is mostly gone today. Its fragments only survive in a few select places along the Ringstrasse, or Ring Street, which more or less runs in the wall's old footprint. And standing at the center of this medieval fortified city was the massive cathedral you see before you now. The church regulated and oversaw nearly every aspect of the daily lives of the people who lived here. As the third tallest structure in the world at the time of its completion in 1433, the South Tower visually dominated the landscape, its spire visible from many miles away, and it served as a lookout point for the military and fire department into the 20th century. To this day, street addresses throughout Vienna are assigned in relation to this point, which means that if you get disoriented while you're wandering around, just head in the direction that the individual house numbers are decreasing, and you'll know that you're making your way towards St. Stephen's. The cathedral's bells also served as timekeepers for the locals in the centuries before personal timepieces, ringing throughout the day and night to signal mealtimes, mass, prayers, and even last call for local taverns. This was also where you came for standard measurements, so you could be sure you were getting what you paid for at the market. Two forms of L, a standard length used in the medieval period, can be seen as two metal rods mounted to the cathedral's facade, just to the left of the main portal if you're facing it. And in quite a literal sense, the church was where life began and ended, from baptism to burial. Until it was made into a public square in the mid-18th century, Stephansplatz, the entire area surrounding St. Stephen's, was a cemetery. Because the Catholic faith holds that you have to be buried on hollowed ground to get into heaven, this was highly prized and limited real estate, and demand for this space was particularly high during the city's two largest bubonic plague epidemics in the 14th and 17th centuries, when locals were dying in the tens of thousands. Though the waves of plague massively accelerated the death rate across Europe, some casualty estimates range as high as a third of the total population, dealing with dead bodies in a limited space wasn't an entirely new challenge here. In mountainous regions especially, level ground can be hard to come by. So what do you do when you run out of space in a cemetery but still have corpses to accommodate? Well, have a look across the square just south of the cathedral, and you'll see a white outline embedded in the paving. This is the floor plan of the Virgelkapelle, a small chapel dedicated to St. Virgil that was erected here in the early 13th century. It functioned as an ossuary, or charnel house, a bone house. Essentially, when a cemetery reached capacity, its oldest graves would be dug up to make room for the latest arrival. The excavated bones would be cleaned and stacked in the subterranean area of a chapel like this, keeping the remains on hollowed ground but in a much more space-efficient manner. Many mountain villages throughout Austria still engage in this practice to this day, actually. The most famous is probably Hallstatt, the picturesque town where you can visit the ornately painted skulls belonging to several centuries of its former residence. But the really fascinating thing about this particular charnel house, the Virgelkapelle, is that it was completely forgotten until 1973, when construction workers on the U1 metro line stumbled upon it. And remarkably, it's still intact. 
If you head down into the Stephansplatz U-Bahn station, you'll find a large window looking into the chapel, which is now more than 12 meters, nearly 40 feet, below street level. So what's with this massive difference in elevation? Why is the Virgokapelle now underground? At several points in the medieval city's history, the decision was made to raise the level of the streets in order to make them more functional as market squares. This was the case for the nearby Graben, whose name, which literally translates as ditch or moat, gives you some idea of its former topographical relationship to the area around it. When the street was raised and leveled, the St. Virgil Chapel was basically buried. Another chapel dedicated to Mary Magdalene, and represented by the black outline you see on the square, was built on top of it and connected to the older St. Virgil Chapel through a shaft in the floor. Like its predecessor, the Magdalene Chapel served funerary functions for the cathedral cemetery, until the cemetery was removed in 1732, at which point this little chapel served little purpose. When a fire destroyed it in 1793, there was no sense in rebuilding it, so its ruins were used to fill in the underground Virgelkapelle, which was then shuttered and forgotten for almost 200 years. You can actually enter the Virgil Chapel today if you're interested. Following several years of restoration and preservation work, it opened again to visitors in 2015. Admission is just a few euros, and an elevator makes it fully accessible. I should also mention, if you're interested in learning more about St. Stephen's, I dedicate an entire separate roughly one-hour tour to the cathedral itself, with episodes covering both the exterior and interior and spanning its nearly 900-year history. So feel free to check it out if you want a more in-depth look at Vienna's most iconic landmark. Or just duck inside. As long as there isn't a service going on, it's free to enter the north aisle of the nave. At this point, let's continue making our way south across the square, past the curved modern glass facade of the Haas House, toward the point where Kärtnerstrasse and the Graben split off. Historical documents indicate that this area used to be a bread market. As they still do in Austria today, bakers then sold their bread by weight. So when the price of flour rose, which it did quite often, a dishonest baker might resort to measures that kept his loaves the same weight but used less flour. Sometimes this meant simply baking at a high heat so the crust appeared done but the inside remained soggy and dense. But if a savvy customer asked to cut a loaf open, this ruse wouldn't work. So the baker might mix in a substance like white clay, calcium hydroxide, also known as lime and used in the manufacture of cement, or even bone ash. Eating any of these in small quantities is an unappealing prospect, to say the least, but keep in mind that bread during this time was the staple food of the European diet and the primary source of nutrition for most of the population. The average person during this period would eat nearly a kilogram, that's almost two and a half pounds, of bread every day most of it dry, hard, and relatively tasteless since salt was a precious commodity and dairy products were both expensive and had a short shelf life in the centuries before refrigeration. Stale bread would be soaked in broth or beer, since beer was safer to drink than water, and eaten as a medieval beer stew, with raisins, milk, butter, and spices if the family could afford them. So if the majority of food you consume is bread, or bread-based, and the majority of the bread you consume is adulterated with hazardous additives, you're going to develop some health problems. These could include symptoms ranging from severe abdominal distress to breathing difficulties, blindness, and even death. So measures were put in place to strongly discourage bakers from adding inedible fillers like these to their loaves. 
The most common punishment in the German-speaking areas of Europe was Beckerschupfen, called ducking in English. This involved locking the offender into a metal cage suspended from the end of a long wooden arm affixed to a lever, basically a seesaw or teeter-totter mechanism, with the person restrained in the cage being dunked repeatedly into water or sewage. But apparently medieval Vienna had to deal with repeat offenders. So somewhere nearby, probably right near the beginning of the Graben, near where you're now standing, they erected a cross, not as a reminder of the local faith, but as a practical device to both threaten and punish particularly dishonest bakers. There's one more point of interest on this square. If you stand with the modern curved glass Haas House at your back, look for the large dark granite building with the name Equitable displayed above its door. It should be directly before you. You'll also notice blue signs mounted on either side of the door that read One Stock im Eisenplatz. The number indicates the district you're in, and the name of this area of the square, Stock im Eisenplatz, is taken from the object you'll find mounted at the left corner of the building in a curved glass vitrine, set about a meter up off the ground. This is the Stock im Eisen, literally translated stock in irons, stock being an antiquated term for a tree trunk in this case, a dead spruce that lived between around 1400 and 1440. If you take a closer look, you'll notice that it's almost completely covered in nails, most of them dating back to the Middle Ages. For centuries, especially in Central and Southeastern Europe, this was the equivalent of tossing a coin in a fountain. Nails were valuable items in the medieval period, and journeymen, especially members of the locksmiths' guild, might have hammered them in for luck as they entered or left the city. The most recent nails date to the 19th century, so what you're seeing here is about 500 years of locksmiths. And actually, this tradition continues here to this day in a slightly different form. Upon receiving the title of Master Locksmith, new members to the Locksmiths Guild are allowed to ceremoniously hammer a nail into a similar wooden stock. One of these you can see mounted in the center of a small square in the 8th district near the guild's offices. And like most of Vienna's oldest traditions, this one too is surrounded in myth. Versions of the legend vary, but they generally involve a young apprentice, a pretty girl, and the devil. The poor but ambitious young apprentice wanted to become a master locksmith. In most versions of the story, this would also enable him to win the girl. So he made a pact with the devil and created a lock that was so intricate it could not be picked or disassembled by any of the master smiths. Marveling at his craftsmanship, the master locksmiths admitted him to the guild, whereupon he jubilantly hammered a nail into this spruce log and went out drinking with his friends to celebrate. The next morning, the devil appeared with this stock bound in irons, reminding the locksmith that the fee for helping him to craft the inaccessible lock was the young man's soul. But unlike a lot of Austrian folklore, this story doesn't end tragically. According to the legend, the one thing that could save the locksmith from falling into the devil's clutches as a consequence of his own hubris was a weekly reminder of Christ's humility, going to communion on Sunday. Making the moral of the story, unsurprisingly, go to church. Before we leave the square, let's take a moment to address navigation in Vienna. For those of us who didn't grow up in radially laid-out cities, it's easy to get turned around and disoriented. I find it useful to think of Vienna's first district as a clock face, with the ring street forming its outer edge. You're currently standing at the center, basically at the point where the hands attach. If you're still facing the equitable building with the Stockem Eisen at its left corner, you're looking south, towards 6 o'clock. 
And if you walk down Kärtnerstrasse, the street that runs almost directly south off the square, along the left side of the Equitable Building, after a few blocks you'd hit the edge of the first district at its southern point, the State Opera. Now turn 90 degrees to your right, so you're looking down the Graben. It doesn't run all the way through to the ring, but if it did, it would hit it on its western edge at about 9 o'clock. Incidentally, most of the massive former imperial palace, called the Hofburg, sits in this quarter of the first district, between 6 and 9 o'clock. And if you're interested in exploring the entire extent of the first district and curious about what happened to the old city wall, I've got a separate tour that takes you around the full, roughly 5-kilometer circumference of the clock face following the Ring Street. Now that you've got a general sense of orientation in Vienna's center, let's continue to the next stop of this tour. But first, in case you're ready for some samples, I'll give you a good nearby option for bread and the pastries we'll be discussing at the Kipfelhaus in the next episode. Now, keep in mind that you will have another chance to pick up pastries again later in the tour, when we head to the city's oldest continually operating bakery, Grimm. But if you want to taste what we're talking about during the next episode, or if you anticipate arriving at Grimm during their off hours, they close at 5 o'clock on weekdays, 1 o'clock on Saturdays, and are closed all day on Sundays. You may want to go ahead and grab your goodies now. In which case, your best bet is to head down one level below the street into the Stephansplatz U-Bahn station, where you'll find a bakery called Strick, with big yellow cursive lettering, located at both ends of the station near the escalators to the square. If you have a craving for some good bread, Strick has a number of loaves, which you can purchase either whole, usually in 500 gram or 1 kilo sizes, or ask to be cut into smaller weights. You'll see a wide variety displayed on the shelves behind the counter. In the next episode, though, we'll be discussing a few of the items you'll see displayed in the glass vitrines. Pretzels, bagels, and some local pastries, including the Kipferl, the Croissant, the Beugel, and the Krapfen. You'll learn more about the history of each of these items when you hit play on the Kipfelhaus stop, but I'll go through how to order them now. To order a pretzel, you'll have to ask for a Laugenbrezel, or a lye pretzel, Laugenbrezel, in reference to the curing it undergoes before baking. Likewise, bagels are often labeled Laugenringe, lye rings, Laugenringe. And you'll see that here, they're mostly available as ready-made sandwiches. The granddaddy of the bagel, called the Beugel, spelled B-E-U-G-E-L, is offered with two kinds of sweet fillings, walnut, in which case it's called a Nussbeugel, or poppy seed, called a Mohnbeugel. Speaking of filled pastry, the Krapfen, spelled K-R-A-P-F-E-N, is a Viennese favorite. It's basically an airy yeast dough that's been deep fried and filled with jam, usually apricot much like a jelly donut. They're the round, pillowy confections you see dusted with powdered sugar, and they come with a handful of other fillings too, like nougat, plum compote, vanilla, and strawberry, according to availability. Finally, the Kipferl, spelled K-I-P-F-E-R-L, for which our next destination is named, is the brioche-like crescent you'll see both with and without large grains of pearl sugar on top. In the hands of the French, who made it instead out of layered pastry dough, this is what eventually evolved into the croissant, which in German is called either a croissant or a Pariser Kipferl or a Französischer Kipferl, a Parisian or French crescent. 
In case they ask, you probably want your goodies packaged to take away. That's zum Mitnehmen in German. So you can head right to our next stop, just a couple short blocks from here. An interactive map of the entire route is available as a link in the information text where you downloaded this tour. But here's the gist. To get to the Kipfel House from street level on St. Stephen's Square, take a left onto Singerstrasse, the street off to your left side if you're standing in front of the Stockem Eisen tree stump. You'll know you're heading in the right direction if you see a McDonald's on your right. A couple blocks down, you'll see an apothecary, or apotheke, on a corner on your left side. Take a left turn here, onto Grünangergasse. The Kipfelhaus, our next destination at number 8, will be on your left.